You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. sight of the Lord according to all his fathers had done. The rubber band is not going to be stretched. They came right back to where they were. Like I said, the last gasp. One last gasp. Even though Josiah was a godly man and he wanted to serve the Lord, he made a foolish blunder. He became more political than he was supposed to. He became more political. He followed the politicians instead of the command for the Lord. As Christians, we need to be very careful about how we get involved in politics. We should vote and ask God to guide us in that practice. We should be involved in civil service as well. But, as Pastor Dave will remind us today, we should never compromise for the sake of gaining power or any other reason. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 23 as he continues his message, The Last Gasp. Bible was going on and people were getting saved left and right and one day it's proven it's written there was a guy in a pub all by himself there wasn't anybody in there except he and the bartender and he was just drinking a glass of ale and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit hit him he fell on his knees right there in the in the in the pub and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord revival has no bounds when true revival is happening, it will spread like wildfire. And it will go and go and go and has no bounds. It could start right here in Lower Township and move to middle to upper and on there. It could go this way. It could go across the pond to Delaware. It could continually move. That's what revival does. True revival. True revival. Not some made-up revival. Not some makeshift revival. We're not going to have a meeting and say, we want revival. We want... No, we're going to confess our sins. Because he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. And we're going to get right with him. And we're going to commit our ways to him. We're going to follow his word. And then we're going to say, what should we do? And that's what he's doing here. The rival is moving everything around. Now, Josiah puts the last piece of the revival in place. One more piece he has to put in place. Look at verses 21 through 23. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover of the Lord, your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant, such as the Passover surely never had been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. I love that. I love that. What was missing? Now that we've come this far, we, we've come this far, we've cleansed the temple. We've cleansed the temple. We've dug into the word of God. We've repented of our sin and we've confessed our sin. And we're moving along and, and we're doing all these things. We have to remember the Lord our God. We need to go back to the ordinances that were given. And one of the ordinances that was given the church, or excuse me, was given them Passover. Passover to remember what happened back in Egypt when they came out of Egypt. 
when they came out of Egypt. So he says, this has to be done for years and years since the judges. Hundreds and years ago, the Passover has not been held. A beautiful ceremony, a wonderful ceremony. And if you don't know by now, the Passover ceremony, everything about the Passover ceremony points to one person. His name is Jesus Christ. Every single thing in the Passover, because Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the Paschal lamb. He is our Passover lamb. But they ignored it for centuries. But now that the people's hearts were once again towards the Lord, they were compelled to celebrate. They were compelled to celebrate, observe. And what was the main purpose of the Passover? Remember. They were to remember what God did in Egypt. What's the purpose of us taking communion? Remember. When you do this, remember me. When you take the cup, remember me. Remember. It's so important that remember what God has done done for us through Jesus Christ. When Peter stands up on Pentecostal Sunday, completely filled with the Holy Spirit, trying to explain to the group gathered that the men were not drunk, but they were speaking in foreign tongues, proclaiming the joy of the Lord. He gives this beautiful, wonderful sermon. And the men ask him, the men ask him, what should we do? What should we do? What did he say? Repent and be baptized. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why did he say baptized? Because it's an ordinance of the Lord. The Lord has given us baptized. He's only given us two ordinances, communion and baptism. He's given us that. Now, you do not need to be baptized to be saved. However, again, being baptized is demonstrating outwardly what has taken place inside. You're demonstrating on an outward thing to everybody to see what the Lord has done in your heart. So we use that. We see that. We do this because we love God and we want to obey his commands. We do it in remembrance of him. We want to draw closer to the Lord when we obey his commands. We read all about that in John. In John, we read when Jesus says, you'll know you're of mine when you obey me, when you obey my commands, when you do what I've asked you to do. Verse 24, Josiah even goes after the mediums and the spirituals. He goes after household gods and idols. Look at verse 24a. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem that he might perform the words of the law, which were written in the book that Hilkiah, the priest, found in the house of the Lord. These household gods, these private gods that people had, Right now, I'm thinking of a man who had all kinds of little gods that his daughter stole when she was being taken back to Cana. His name was Laban. And he had all these little gods that he had around. And when, when was it Rachel or, or um, Leah? One of them, I think both of them, I'm not sure. Was it Rachel? Was, it, was, was Rachel? She took some of these with her, remember? She took some of them with her. They had these little gods. They had these little idols that they put in their house. They were called household gods. We have them too. Me and I take Odie, Odie, geez, that's a long time ago. We take our Macy for a walk. And I can't tell you how many times we walk by, and there's the Blessed Mother on this lawn. There she is on that lawn. There she is on that lawn. And everywhere you go, there's these idols. There, there are these idols that are sitting there on the lawn. And I know people who were born-again Christians who told me, I want to sell my house, so I'm going to bury St. Anthony upside down. Or is it St. Joseph? St. Joseph upside down in my yard. What? Yeah. See, these little household things that we think are, are not anything, oh, it's no big thing. Well, yes, it is. 
When you get right down to it, it is a big thing. It is a big thing. And so Josiah says, it doesn't stop here. we got to get rid of them all. Get rid of those household gods. Man, oh man, it makes me want to go home and get rid of my big screen TV. Or oh, not. You didn't hear the other words. I said not. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. We have these little household gods, okay? Why? So the king can perform the words of the law. Look at 24b. It says, so the king can perform the words of the law. What Josiah was doing was performing all that was in the law in the covenant that he made with God. He made a covenant with God, and he's performing it. A true revival sweep clean all the places of the heart. It sweeps clean the hidden places that we have stored up, the things that bring us down, the things that keep us down. A true revival gets rid of those things. It jettisons those things and gets them going. Oh, how we need a true revival in the United States. How we need a true revival to get back to the things of God. How we need to bring prayer back into schools. How we need to bring the Ten Commandments back into our governmental places. How we need to close all these parent, Planned Parenthood places and stop these abortions from taking place. We need to get right with God. We need to get right with God. So praises for King Josiah. Praises for King Josiah. Look at 25. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all that the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. That is some beautiful, bold praise for a king. That's beautiful, bold praise that we read right there in God's word. I love it. I love it. This is great in the eyes of the Lord. But there's a word, the first word of verse 26. What does it say? It says, nevertheless, Nevertheless, you know what I'm going to say next? I'm going to say the die is cast. What's done is done. Look at 26 and 28. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath for which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with which who? Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel and will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles to the kings of Judah? Nevertheless, the die is cast. What's done is done. This is what scares me about our my beloved country. Can we come back? I don't know. Is there time? I don't know. But there is time for one last gasp. There is time for one last revival. There is time for us to get the word of God out and have people saved. There is time for that. And as good as Josiah was, as good as he was, he might have lived a little longer, but he did something that was unwise. He got into a trouble that he had no business sticking his nose into. And that might have something to do with what's today going on today. He stuck his nose someplace where he didn't need to stick it. Look at 29 and 30. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates, and King Joash went against him. And Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. 
Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his tomb. Stop there. Josiah had no mandate from the Lord to stick his nose into this problem. He wasn't asked by anybody to come along someone's side. He wasn't asked to help settle this dispute between Egypt and Babylon. It was really none of his business. But he went in there anyhow. And sometimes we're just like Josiah. We think we got to jump in the middle of a situation and straighten it out. By golly, I'm straightening this thing out. Only to find ourselves defeated in the process. When we realize that we don't have to jump into every situation, we don't have to figure everything out or solve every single problem, we can spare ourselves a lot of pain. We can spare ourselves a lot of hurt. When we aren't the fix-it-all, because I serve a God who's a fix-it-all. I serve a God who can cure everything and fix everything. I don't have to. Unless he tells me to. Unless he calls me to. Unless he gives it all my heart to do. And I, I already explained this to Mark, and I feel like I have to explain it today. I had heard a great study from my pastor, Pastor Frank, a little snippet that he did on Joshua 5. And on jo- in Joshua 5, Joshua's getting ready to cross over to the to Jordan right, with Israel, and he's out praying. He's out there, and all of a sudden he comes across this guy in full armor with his sword drawn. And Joshua looks at him and says, Oh, are you, are you one of us or are you one of them? You know what the answer was? Neither. The guy just happened to be the commander of the Lord's army. He was none other than an epiphany of Jesus Christ. What did that tell me? I'm not on any side. I'm on the Lord's side. The Lord is the one who I follow, and I'm on his side. I'm on his side. And if I stick my nose where it doesn't belong, it just might get chopped off. I might have some problems looking at things and doing things and things. Yes, we all have opinions, and you're entitled to it. And you're entitled to your opinion. But you need to be careful when you stick your nose where it doesn't belong. You have to be really careful. Because we don't take sides. My side is the side of the Lord. What was that guy saying? What was the commander of the Lord's army wanting to know? He didn't want to know if the, it wasn't any difference if the Lord, if he was for Joshua, he wanted to know if Joshua was for him. And that's what the Lord is asking us today. Lots of crazy stuff going on. All sorts of crazy things going on. You can go down any rabbit hole you want to go. And there's a million of them you can follow. Whose side are you on? Are you following the Lord? Are you looking after the Lord and knowing that he's got it under control? And are you satisfied with that? Or are you going, I got this one, Lord. Stand back. Let me know how that one works out for you. Let me know how that one works out for you. Look how it worked out for Josiah. Look how it worked out for Josiah. Food for thought. Food for thought. But now there's a new king in town. There's a new king in town. Anyhow, there's a new king in town. All right? His name is Jehoiahaz. He's jo- uh, Josiah's son. Here's the crazy thing. He's the youngest son. There were two older brothers. Isn't it secession supposed to be the eldest? Well, the king, the pharaoh, appointed Jehoiahaz as king. The other were passed over. Look at 31 and 33. Jehoiahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned for three months. What? 
He reigned for three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatuel, and the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And guess what, folks? Look at 32. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Wait a minute. The rubber band just snapped back. The rubber band just snapped back. You ever take a rubber band and stretch it and stretch it and stretch it and stretch it? What happens when you let go? Right back to his normal shape. That's us. God stretches us and stretches us and stretches us and stretches us, and somehow we wiggle our way through, and guess what? We go right back to our old position. Right back to our old position. Well, let's look at this. He did it. He raved for three months, but in three months, he didn't do anything right. I'm glad my name's not in the book, and Dave did evil. No, no. Ah. Pharaoh put Jehoiahaz there, and he taxed him. He put him in prison. He had three and three-quarter tons of silver and 75 pounds of gold was what he had to pay. So he says, you're no good. I'm going to replace you with somebody else. So he takes his brother, Elikim, and he changes his name to Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim becomes king. Look at 34, and we'll finish out. Ha-ha, you didn't think I'd get there, did you? We'll finish out the study. Then Pharaoh Necho made Elikim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoiahaz to Egypt, and he died. So Jehoiakim gave silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give the money according to the command of Pharaoh, and he exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to the assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Zabubah, and father uh, Pedadiah of Rumah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all his fathers had done. So the rubber band is not going to be stretched. They came right back to where they were. Like I said, the last gasp. One last gasp. Even though Josiah was a godly man and he wanted to serve the Lord, he made a foolish blunder. He became more political than he was supposed to. He became more political. He followed the politicians instead of the command for the Lord. His sons were nothing like them. They had this beautiful picture of a man who was following the Lord, and they didn't follow it. The Lord had made a covenant with the nation of Israel, and if they obeyed him and kept the covenant, he would have healed their land, and he would make them the head of all nations. He would have made them the head of all nations, but their disobedience led to their feet and subsequently diversion among all their nations, and they were scattered. Here's my point. Here's how I'm concluding this. When the United States of America was founded on Christian principles and we were a Christian nation, after World War II, we were the head of all nations. The Lord had made us the head of all nations. Everybody looked at the United States. Everybody wanted to be like the United States. We were either everybody's friend or everybody's enemy, but they all looked to us with envy because God was on our side. And God was doing a mighty work in this beautiful land, brought us through a horrible, horrible war that took almost 400,000 lives. Yes, there would be other wars, but then all of a sudden there were holes in the dam and it started to leak and things started to get bad. And in the 50s, prayer was gone. In the 60s, civil unrest. In the 70s, Roe v. Wade, and you could just... Kill any baby you wanted to kill. And it just continues to snowball. We were once envied by all nations. 
You see what they think of us now? You see what they think of us now? I don't know. I don't know. We've taken the Lord out of our schools, our government, and we've taken him out of our homes. Parents don't teach their children the abnomition of the Lord anymore. That belongs to the church. Now it belongs at home. And we're constantly sacrificing our children to them. We've given everything over to the world. Children walk through the fires of abortion, millions upon millions of innocent babes. But the church hasn't fared much better. The church has not fared much better. We have followed Israel's example, Judah's example, by getting into the worldly business that we don't belong in. The church has allowed the world to come into us. We're dabbling with politics. Politics have come into the church. The church will be divided because of politics. The church is going to be divided because of racial problems. The church is being divided. Satan is trying to divide the church today. He's trying to divide the church today. We're dabbling with New Age philosophies. We're dabbling with all sorts of things because we have itchy ears. And, you know, the, the gospel message hurts my ears. I'm not a sinner. I'm good. It hurts our ears. So we want something that feels good in our ears, that tickles our ears. Churches no longer teach the word of God. Churches no longer point to the cross of salvation. And then churches that point to the cross, sometimes they add to the cross. Oh, yeah, the cross is great, but you have to have this. No better than the Judaizers that Mark's been teaching about for the last year and a half. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. But the point is true, though. It's, it's true. It is true. It's so true. It's scary, folks. We concentrate on the word of man. The pastors pick up a newspaper, look at the headlines, and go, oh, I'm going to preach a sermon. I love being part of Calvary Chapel, line by line, verse upon verse, because if it isn't in here, I don't want it. And guess what? You don't need it. If it's not in here, you don't need it. You don't need it. I want to be a lot like Josiah. I want, to, I want to see this nation reformed again. I want to see revival happen. But as I said last week, it begins in our hearts, guys. This is where it begins. It begins here. Being called out of the world. Come out from among them and be separate. Let's not let the church, let's not the world come into our church. I don't want the world in here. This is a house of God. We worship the one true living God through Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He's our King. And we worship him. And we'll continue to worship him until he comes home or the Lord takes us home some way. That's my goal. And that's what I want to do. So I see that written so well. And as we begin chapter 24 and 25, it's over. It's over. The beautiful kingdom of Judah will be gone, carried away for 70 years to Babylon. 70 years. Oh, I get passionate about this because it's the truth, and we see it in Old Testament. This is Old Testament scriptures, folks. Thank God for the New Testament. Thank God for grace. Thank God for Jesus Christ. My goodness. You are This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Thanks for tuning in. As you notice in the course of history, an entire nation can be led astray by following after other gods. But the leader of the nation is the one who sets the example. 
In so many cases in 2 Kings, the one who was in charge was himself acting wickedly or was swayed by the people who were doing evil practices. Unfortunately, you see the downfall and destruction of a nation when it chooses to stray from following after God. What does that mean for today? What are the patterns and practices being set into place in this nation? When you refer to history, it doesn't look promising. But that doesn't mean that you have to give in to societal pressures and practices. Your example of standing up against the norms could affect others around you. You never know who's observing and how they might change their own perspective based on your example. If you have any questions about what you heard today, you can reach us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We encourage you to keep looking to Scripture for answers about all of life's questions. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. If you want to hear this message again or others like it, you'll be able to find them on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Don't forget to join us again next time to learn more valuable lessons in 2 Kings right here on Assure Hope. Oh